0: Oh, hey, Eric, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, you know, I, I heard that you had the baby and everything seems to be going well. Oh, well no, Eric, like, your skin's really pasty. You have bags under your eyes. Are You're a zombie. Oh, God, the apocalypse has begun. Oh, I need to arm myself. Oh, oh coffee. Oh,
1: oh that's... Mm. Oh, that's better. I'm so tired. Hey, hey, John. Die, zombie, die! die! What are you doing with that axe? Welcome to the Terror Test. I'm Eric and I'm John as fans of horror. Our goal is to weigh merits of films based on three categories production monster quality and scare factor to decide whether to admit them into our sacred
0: horror canon in this podcast we will put horror movies to the test to determine what's what to watch next what's worth revisiting and what to recommend to the uninitiated
1: number two pencils ready and begin.
0: Okay. Wow. Welcome back,
1: Yeah. Eric. So, yeah, sorry for the delay, like in the intro, uh, we did. Uh, I, I was gone for the second birth of our second daughter, Isla Rose.
0: Yeah, and we had Christmas break in there, so mm-hmm. it was a nice time to just uh, take some time off. And now we're back and refreshed mm-hmm. and ready to talk horror. Yep, back into the decades of death. Yes, and so... Um, Where we left off last time, we were in the middle of the 1970s. And so um, we're picking back up um, and watching The Tenant and Dawn of the Dead. So let's start with The Tenant, which was released in 1976, written and directed by Roman Polanski, also written by Gerard Brock and based on the novel by Roland Topor, starring Roman Polanski as Tchaikovsky, Isabel Johnny as is Stella, Melvin Douglas as Mansoor Z, and Joe Van Fleet as Madame Diaz. Let's talk about production.
1: Hey, so for production, we're looking to see that the film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the subject matter. What is this movie about?
1: <laughs> oh, well. so it's the third movie. It's the the final installation of the apartment trilogy. I don't. Mm-hmm. That's not intentional.
0: Uh, it's very loose. Yeah. Trilogy.
1: I think so. I don't think I would have as good of an understanding about this movie if we hadn't watched Repulsion. Yeah. I feel like similar to Repulsion. I feel like this is just another one of those characters' descents into madness. I think that's what it's about. I think it's about madness.
0: Yeah, but I think. I think it suffers from the comparison to Repulsion in Rosemary's Baby. Because mm. those were such effective portrayals of a descent into madness. Um, I don't think it's because our lead is a male instead of a female. Although, um, I think you could have a compelling... Male story of uh, Descent into Madness, but there was something about uh, Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion that had to do with a woman living in a patriarchal society. Um, and that sense of oppression isn't really in this movie. Dude. And so it feels like this movie's kind of about a boring white guy and it doesn't have too much to say (laughs) well i i disagree with you there a little bit i think what it's saying
1: i think it's also about a search for identity like he's trying to find himself but he's also kind of lying about who he is in a lot of ways it reminded me in some parts about like um have you seen the talented or read the talented mr ripley yeah a long time ago parts of this reminded me of that where he's sort of taking on these different personas and it drives him insane because he loses himself, but I don't know if that's why he's dressing in drag at the end, or he's if he's somehow possessed by the ghost of the woman who committed suicide.
0: Yeah, that's the I thing I got lost.
1: It's like
0: it's he he believes that it's his neighbors that are putting him in this role right, right of the girl who died. But that doesn't come across as an audience member of what's happening. It seems to be 100% on him. In his head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it just, it wasn't, it it wasn't a convincing descent into madness, I guess. Because he seemed a little too normal at the beginning. Like there wasn't a clear uh, thread That could be pulled, um, that would unravel the sweater of madness.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there there are a lot of directions where the movie could have gone. I think it could have gotten real meta. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, where maybe it was sort of like the expectations of society or the audience. Like I really wanted this to almost be like cat in the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, with it a little bit. Yeah. But it doesn't really go there. Like you said, I, I agree, it it lacks some depth. Um, to be able to make that jump, but yeah, the story's unclear other than just a guy <laughs> looking for a nice, quiet apartment and
0: his neighbors don't like him being a young bachelor. I, no. There is, like, there seems to be a meta moment when you have a woman wearing a mask of Roman Polanski. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, what, what? is he trying to say um i it just doesn't feel as as artful and and maybe some of that has to do with the lead actor roman polanski himself um he i don't know he didn't seem to offer much to the role and i don't know i feel like my my read of how um of the scenes where he's dressing in drag it seemed to be like it was meant for laughs like he's having a goof um which is you know now looking in 2019 it seems kind of transphobic but mm. it doesn't seem to be any deeper than that um mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Did how did you read that?
1: At the that's the thing I was I thought it was suggesting that he felt possessed by the victim, but there's just the there, way that he was like
0: acting feminine. It was just yeah. so stereotypical. Yeah. It was like kind of like, "Oh, look at me. I'm like walking like a lady now." Mm-hmm. And putting on the clothes and yeah. Yeah. But again, I think if again,
1: I there are lots of this, there's parts of this movie that i like but with that there's not a clear i agree with you there's not a clear story if it if it's a story about the search for his identity he's just trying on these different identities mm-hmm. and he tries to assume the identity of the of the victim i'm thinking about like the ending mm-hmm. too right where he is it's like shot from the like we circle back to that hospital scene and it's like he is the person in the suit and then he sees himself walk in to have Mm -hmm. that conversation. Like I said, but it's only at that moment and in the ending that any of those ideas come up. Mm -hmm. It it seems to take a while. (laughs) So that's why I mean. It is.
0: It's, it's confusing. Yeah. Um, so tonally it, it kind of seems off. Yeah. I think we've said enough about the writing. Um, there there is a moment where um he's in public and there's a child crying and he goes up and slaps it. And there, like I really appreciated that scene. It's like you're speaking for all of us when you do that. <laughs> like, Have never ever just wanted to like go up to a kid and just smack him? <laughs>
1: that will like that scene took me back. Like
0: to smacking kids what
1: yeah i, I was taken aback taken <laughs> oh, aback. that okay. took me back sorry <laughs> i was taken aback by it it was like as a shock i was like oh he just did that <laughs> he just did yeah. that but again it so even with that scene right um, it's almost like the things that he wants to do are socially unacceptable and so in a search to try to find that balance in himself that he's also trying to find with his neighbors in the apartment, you know. But again, I, I'm just saying this
0: because I think it's, like, tenuous. I don't think there's much. I'm just searching. muddled. yeah. I mean, I think there could be something there. Um, I remember an early scene um, when his friends were over. They were super misogynistic. Um, yeah. And so don't know if that was meant to be like, you know can a man be put in a feminine role and is there something to be said about how that's not socially acceptable I well, even then, I feel like we're just digging yeah, but even then in that scene, right
1: like the point of that scene is that he's not standing up for himself. Or he right, he's not acting a
0: like a jerk, like his friend, like his friend, who's like yeah. a total alpha male. Yeah, and
1: they're not even really his friends. They like yeah. he just invites them over because he thinks that's the thing he's supposed to do. Um, so again, I we could like break down each scene and look for something, but I think I agree with you; it's overall uh, muddled. Um,
0: yeah, and but
1: as a film, so let's talk about the cinematography. Beautifully shot. It's a good-looking movie.
0: Um, Not really much in terms of special effects. It's not remarkably memorable. No. I mean, it's been a few weeks now since I've seen it, and... I don't remember too much about it. Well,
1: there's cool shots. I like the shot at the very end when it's like panning through all the neighbors and we finally do see what he thinks he's seeing with the neighbors like looking in. And I it's mean like this I rear really, window moment kind of thing. I
0: love the, yeah, kind of rear window where he's looking across mm-hmm. and people are staring at him like frozen mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Um, I think that is effectively creepy, but that seemed to be just um, a bright moment in an otherwise kind of dull film. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely, it's
1: not as strong as the previous two. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think I'm going to give it a point. Same. Yeah. All right, monster quality. The film's monsters are frightening, clearly relate to archetypal archetypal fears, and have depth. I think that's what we've been saying is they don't.
0: (laughs) So who's Um, the monster? What's the monster? I mean, there's something that he seems to be trying to say about his relationship with his neighbors um, and how even little things can kind of get blown out of proportion or neighbors can, you know, make judgments or, or we care too much about what our neighbors think or something. Um, but yeah, it just, my analysis ends there because I don't know if, if there's anything more to that. And I don't know if there's anything outside of that. No, it, it, I know it's a
1: stretch, and I think I'm reaching. But I think a monster could be the self. Right? He's doing these things to himself because he's ultimately making up in his head what, how oppressive the neighbors are, and <clears throat> and all that.
0: Right. But what causes it? I just
1: I can't wrap my head around yeah. it. No, I can't find it other than. Just general like mleze, yeah. And being, being him, being Polanski. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm I'm not gonna give this a point either. No, I I there was no clear like I said, uh, or like we've been saying, there's no clear uh, monsters. It's hard to find.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk like about scare factor. <laughs> nope. What, what does scare factor mean? means a lot, John. <laughs>
1: no, the film has clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. Um,
0: yeah, um, apart from the shots where people are staring out the window, um, and I think there's even a surreal moment where like he's staring at himself like he's in that window. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that was cool. Um, that was the only moments that really stood out to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe if there's a little bit more about that, I think there... Again, we're like finding these little seeds of ideas like the idea of being watched. I'm one of those people that um, I always kind of have to close my blinds in my windows. I'm like freaked out by the idea of mm-hmm. people looking in the windows yeah. uh, or being seen and watched um, by neighbors and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I, it just generally creeps me out. Um, so I think there's an opportunity there for that, the idea that somebody can hear your every move in the mm-hmm. ceiling. Um,
0: but it's just it doesn't come through in the movie as well. There there's just nothing there that's uh tangible. Like I can't put myself in his position. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, I I wasn't scared.
1: Yeah, and we're <clears throat> you know, we're wanting that tension. Like that's what we talked about with repulsion. There's that remarkable tension and that build of suspense mm-hmm. all the way through. And that just doesn't happen in this movie. Yeah. So I wouldn't put it in the diaper. I would say if you're wanting to just finish out that trilogy, it's worth watching,
0: but not the strongest. I would say that you could probably pass. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure there there there's some other Polanski that we could do, um, but it it seems like it it would be very difficult to surpass Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah. Such a masterpiece that... Everything else just seems to suffer by comparison. Agreed. Okay, well then let's move on to our next film. Um, this also comes from a director that we have discussed before, George Romero. Um, this is 1978's Dawn of the Dead, in which Romero wrote and directed the film. Starring David M.G. as Stephen, Ken Forey as Peter, Scott Reiniger as Roger and Galen Ross as Francine, and some various cameos. We got we got a big Tom Savini cameo. Oh, I, that's one of the highlights of this movie yeah. for me. Okay,
1: well, let's talk about production. Yeah, so production. Um, thinking about the like the budget of this movie overall, low budget, but that's in my opinion that's part of the beauty of this movie because. Even though it's low budget, the effects... Do you feel like the effects are cheesy? Um, I
0: think they add character okay. to the movie, but... I, I would say as far as budget goes, the, the scale of the movie feels just right. Yeah, like okay. The, the mall and then every place leading up to the mall is great. Um, I love how it starts with like the chaos in the newsroom. And you start off with like what is the responsibility of people in the newsroom? Should they look out for themselves or should they keep, you know, going? We see police, I mean, and other uh, people in important positions like starting to bail Mm -hmm. and look out for themselves. Um, And so I, I think that's really great. And with, everything in the mall is interesting but going back to to special effects um i think the the thing that takes me out of the i don't know uh the the place the thing that takes me out of the the setting is just the the makeup the yeah
1: the makeup itself like the 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 fact that they're looking bluish grayish greenish
0: It looks extremely fake. Yeah. I mean, not realistic at all. And, I mean, maybe that's the kind of makeup they wore in Night of the Living Dead. But, I mean, that was black and white. And that was, Mm. it looked great. Yeah. Here, not so much. Yeah.
1: But, to counter that, I like the special effects, like the close-up, the gore. I, yeah, think I think done it's done well. Good. I think that has a heavy nod to Jallo, and it does a really good job. Um, it's very stylized. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm okay with that, but I agree with the makeup itself is is a little rough. And there, I even uh, the documentary that I would suggest watching with it is called "Document of the Dead." Um, and in that doc, Tom Savini even says he's like, "It's awful." He's like, "He's like, it was, it was." Something that I would totally change in it. He's like, I put it on. I thought it would be gray, but when it shot, it was blue. Sometimes green. Totally inconsistent. And, um,
0: yeah, he just regrets that part of it. Yeah. Um. But everything else with the production, I mean, I I really like. I know um, this, this movie, and when we get to
1: Scare Factor, I want to talk about it. this movie is so entertaining.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's one that is. Definitely of its time, but it also has some really timeless elements. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it's you know, it's easy to compare this to more recent zombie movies like the remake of this, even. Um but I I still think it, it feels fresh in this movie. Um yeah. you know, the different Tropes that we see in zombies now. I mean, it's it that's, works
1: here. That's that's what I wrote down in terms of the writing. I mean, the setup of this movie. You could not have Walking Dead without this movie. So right. the setup of. Um, That very real human element of the survivors kind of joining together, building a home in this new crazy world and trying to find some sense of normal normalcy whenever they, you know, make those rooms in the mall and do all that like real kind of people stuff. But at the same time, they're having to go out and, you know, snipe zombies or do whatever. Um, Or like this scene uh, when what's the um, the cop's name? Uh, Which one? Peter or Roger? No, that's not who I'm thinking of. it's the scene where they're in the uh, like the gun shop, and there's like crazy like African music playing, and they're' uh, like totally loading up on yeah. that. I just they're having fun.
0: I, I really love when you get to see like process in movies and watching them um, secure the mall is a lot of fun to watch, yes, because it. It seems realistic. like this yeah. is this is what you do. Like it seems smart. and I love seeing smart people, you know, mm-hmm. do things well mm-hmm. um, because they do a great job. I mean, it's only when the bikers come that everything goes to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that part is is really cool. and this does get into monster quality a little bit, but yeah, with this with the zombies in this movie as opposed to Night of the Living Dead. There's some really interesting depth there. Um the idea that they that there's some um, some kind of hap- some kind of memory that they have that uh they're instinctually drawn to the mall. hmm Um, I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know you have the social satire of consumerism and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And that that comes across really well. Um, but even without that metatextual part of it, just the, the idea of having zombies um, sort of trying to recover some memory or some f- feeling... Just it makes them a lot more human and sc- scary and effective.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, I agree. We're like kind of bleeding into monster quality, but in terms of the writing, I think with all the things that you just said, is that it helps this movie define a genre mm-hmm. because that's what people kept as they've made zombie movies after that they keep coming into that notion of like, are they still human? Can we kill them? Is there a group of people who feels like we shouldn't kill them? Like the conversation they have with the,
0: with the priest in the basement <clears throat> kind of touches on that. Yeah. It seems like night of the living dead is perhaps more about survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is more about the zombies yeah. themselves. And that is interesting. And yeah, it, it's really helped to the genre um. Yeah. So I. I mean. I want to give it a point. I also think you know the actors are charismatic, mm-hmm. good. Um. Yeah. Like I said, there are places where you can tell it was a low budget. One guy is in brown face at the beginning. It's really painful. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's. It's really solid.
1: Yeah. Uh. I, I want to give it a point too. And something else about special effects that Tom Savini says in that documentary hes he said uh he said like with the the effects and stuff he meant it to to great. He said everything should grate, and that's just his like philosophy uh-huh. on makeup is it needs uh-huh. it to be gross out extreme like oh that's why all those kills are so different mm-hmm. it's because they want it to be shocking and i think I think he pulled it off some of those deaths like still got to me mm-hmm. um <clears throat> when you see them as people as their formal selves kind of mm-hmm.
0: thing did you um did you see the version with the Goblin soundtrack or the other side, like the American soundtrack?
1: This no. one had the Goblin soundtrack.
0: Yeah. Mine did too. Yeah. And I, I loved it. I mean, that's one that I, yeah, had. I'm glad that's you brought great. that
1: up. I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, that was one that I really enjoyed in, uh, like when we went to see Goblin, mm-hmm. uh, when they did that, that clip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about monster quality. So the, we were talking about zombies as um, as consumers, mm-hmm. basically. So, like you said, satire on consumerism. How do you... I was curious and wanted to ask you, how do you like your zombie? Do you like your zombie slow-moving like this with some shred of humanity left? Or do you like fast-moving zombies 28 Days Later, World War Z? Or do you like there to be
0: an evolution? Or do you like... Oh, uh, man. It depends. Um, I mean... I think there are moments when, you know, because the zombies are so slow in this, that it it doesn't feel like they're in danger too often. Mm-hmm. But then when it does become overwhelming, you do get a sense of danger. Like when uh, Roger, one of the cops, is like in the truck and he's mm-hmm. just, you know, breezing through you know, the task that he's doing, but then all of a sudden it's becoming too much. Mm-hmm. And so that turn, um, is, is really interesting. So I think, I think the slow zombies work well here and it does. Yeah. Because they are some past memory of themselves is being evoked. I think that's effective. Um, yeah, I don't know. What about you? I think um like your zombies.
1: I I prefer them to be well, I'm like you. It depends on the context. So like in twenty eight days later, they've set it up to make sense, so it's sort of like this primal mm-hmm. thing happening. In this one though, I I agree that the slow zombie is is the most effective because a zombie by itself moving slowly is not scary just like a single person is not scary necessarily, but where the mass, the mass consumption is the problem or when you're overwhelmed by the masses, Mm -hmm. that's where the fear really is. And I think that goes right along with the satire. So
0: Yeah, I recently read an essay in which um, a a theater professor um, had some lessons about teaching students how to walk like zombies. And it was really interesting because he talked about this movie and some some other movies in particular, but different aspects of how zombies walk. Um, like in this one, yeah, it is a slow pace. Um, they seem to mill around. They do seem to cluster, mm-hmm. you know, but for the most part, ignore each other. Um, and so the exercises that he had his students do was like to be aware of, of space and movement and to try to go out in the world and like, think about, you know, places that have meaning to you and how can you try to, you know, like make an, an instinctual, um, uh, I I don't know, Mm -hmm being instinctually drawn towards a place. Mm, mm-hmm. um, it was just really, really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, so much has been written about this movie. Yeah. Um, that it, it it has so much depth.
1: And and that's the thing, too, that I think is worth mentioning. There are so so many, like, essays, books, and documentaries about this movie. We're never going to cover everything there is to say about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is <clears> worth <throat> saying, though, that, you know, there are very clear scenes of violence and racism before the zombies um, with, you know, the police sting or whatever they're doing to like get the guy in brown face. <laughs> um, and so we see just how violent humanity is before the outbreak or, or at least like when the outbreak is just starting. And then we also see when the bikers come, mm-hmm. just, you know, when there are no more, social norms, just how um just how violent we, we can get. Um and so yeah, I mean the real monsters are us is the cliche, but yeah. um I think this movie does it well.
1: I agree. Um also to to add on so as I watched that documentary something I took away is Romero said that um he was inspired by I am legend for this oh, movie. And that uh, made me Richard think Yeah. If that's the first appearance of the zombie outside of like maybe like Haitian stories zombie like kind of mythology but I'm wondering if in literature
0: um yeah I'm not sure
1: are they supposed to maybe they're I don't, they're not called zombies right there's like another name No, for they're one. more like vampires, vampires
0: yeah. yeah but um I don't know that's one that um that I need to read
1: oh it's great yeah I can't remember the name of the the creatures at this point but uh, so I'm gonna give it a point Monster quality, uh, scare factor. Um, here, so I think we can both agree this. Other than like the satire part and and thinking about like what zombies represent, the idea of consumerism can be scary. But as a movie, I, w- I wanted to add a different layer to scare factor.
0: or make right, an we'll argument see. for a different layer. All right, because I'm I'm saying it's not scary.
1: I know. I knew you were going to say that, yeah. but I have an argument for it. So you know how we've talked about scare factor we've added to our definition could be like uh tonal, it could be um, suspense mm-hmm. like a thread. I'm not saying that this movie has that, but I'm wondering if we could put scare factor into entertainment value. That's something I think is undeniable about this movie is that it's entertaining throughout. And it has those real moments mm-hmm. where you feel something for the characters Um Yes, it has the silly moments in there, but I, I just—it's I, watching this movie is such a blast. I wonder if we can add entertainment to scare factor.
0: i am not seeing the connection. Like, how is, how is the movie being entertaining scary? Like, what is that? Not. <laughs> but <clears throat> I know this is a movie that feels like it should be in the canon. But like, if you're going to give this movie to the uninitiated, like you would have to give the disclaimer like this isn't scary. Yeah, but why is that bad? But that's not part of our canon. Or, yeah. That's not part of our rubric. And that's like, you know, there are a lot of problems with the rubrics. Like, you know, I'll acknowledge that. But if we are trying to Create a canon of movies that are well-made, that have depth in their monsters, and that are scary. This movie does not qualify. Honorable mention, of course. Yeah. But it can be, you know, one of our favorite movies, but it doesn't fit the scare factor.
1: I know. And that's always, like, it's always the thing that we talk about with these movies. I I was just I don't know, you've got me. I don't know how necessarily entertaining can be scary. Other than I would also make the argument that the idea of For example, I'm thinking about we've we've done they live, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think maybe we did that in the honorable mention for the same reason. Yeah. Um, agree that they live as entertaining throughout, mm-hmm. but not necessarily scary. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. Just gonna put it out there. There's so much to chew on in this movie. Right. Um and so it's like intellectually stimulating, but it does not produce mm-hmm. a visceral emotional reaction. It's true. Other than Fun. <laughs> oh.
1: No, but maybe, maybe on another podcast we can just have a fun. Factor. I mean, you can give it scare factor. Like, there's nothing no. stopping. I think I you know. know I, but... I I agree with you. I don't. It's not scary, but I. It needs to be an honorable mention for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. So okay. yeah, like I said, I'm gonna start my own podcast where we talk about fun factor.
0: Okay. <laughs> 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 um, not really. <laughs> So that's that's it for the 70s then. Um we have one in honorable mention. Um next, we're moving on to the 80s. And um now that we're into 2019, and you know that we're covering a hundred years um of horror, we're we're gonna spend some time in the eighties. We're we're not in a rush. And so um we're going to start by looking at some movies in the early 80s, um, starting with some werewolf movies, um, calling back to when we did The Wolfman. Um, we're going to watch An American Werewolf in London and The Howling, both from 1981. So that will be our first step into the 80s, the horror boom.
1: Yeah. We're, yeah.
0: There's just so much. <clears throat> Should we... I think maybe at the end of the
1: decades, would maybe classify sort of like a, um, like a golden age, a silver age, a bronze age. A... Is uh, that, has that been done? Is that a thing?
0: Um, Let me say the golden age of
1: horror. The. I don't know. What would
0: you classify that
1: as the golden age?
0: Yeah. What's the golden age?
1: I think now, like thinking modern, I think probably the seventies.
0: When, there are of, when they're a lot, when they're getting like, better
1: made, mm-hmm. they're approaching more interesting ideas. It's kind of like the the classic era, and then the eighties takes it in a whole new direction. Because so they'll call it maybe silver age.
0: Yeah, um,
1: but I, I don't know. I don't know how no. to say which one is better. You know what I mean? Right. If, if you call it silver age, it sounds
0: like you're degrading. I don't know. Bit. I'm sure there have been plenty of of people who have organized. <laughs> the the horror timeline, um, I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean there there are some great movies in the 70s, and like you said, the 80s are just they're a whole other beast. Yep,
1: so I can't wait to get started. You can check out more episodes of the Decades of Death at Unosolstice.com. You know, e U N O I A S O L S T I C E. Follow us at the underscore terror underscore test. Pencils down. The terror test is over.